Welcome to another episode of Energy Talks. I'm journalist Markham Hislop. This podcast is all about interesting conversations with energy and climate experts from around the world. And don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter, at E-N-E-R-G-I Media, and my personal handle, at PoliticalHam, on Facebook, facebook.com slash energymedia. Energy.media is our website, where you'll find Markham and Energy columns, news stories and op-eds, and the Energy Student Resources Portal, a wiki-style collection of our work that's free for high school teachers and university professors to use in their classrooms. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. If you've been listening to the podcast over the last two, three weeks and watching my video expert interviews, you know that I've done a fair number on hydrogen. And there's a couple of reasons for that. The first one is I had some skept- hydrogen skeptics, we'll call them, on social media challenged me to find experts to talk about how the uh, our argument against hydrogen. And so I did. I, I found Paul Martin, who's a, a chemical engineer and works with hydrogen. But I also did the the uh, uh, pro business case with uh, uh, David Lazell from the Transition Accelerator. And then a couple of weeks ago, I went to Edmonton and I was at the uh, Edmonton Regional Hydrogen Hub's one day summit on hydrogen. Got to interview Mayor Sohi from Edmonton and, and a number of other folks. Then I was at that week, I was in Calgary, no, sorry, no, I was in Edmonton for the Alberta Motor Trucking Association's launch of the uh, Class 8 hydrogen semi-truck, uh, the two of them, that will be used as part of a long, long-haul freight pilot project between Calgary and Edmonton. So I got to talk to lots of folks who are very excited about hydrogen, are putting their money where their mouth is, and they talk, you know, they give me a good overview of some of the technologies and where they're at and the likelihood of success. That leads me to today's guest. Denara Millington is the Western Network Lead at the Transition Accelerator. She's also the co-author of the recent report, Towards a Fuel Hydrogen Economy in the Calgary Region, a Feasibility Study. So welcome to the interview, Denara. Thank you, Markham. Thanks for having me. Now, before we get into the questions, you and I, you know, I even have interviewed you so many times back in your, when you were an economist with the Calgary, uh, sorry, the Canadian Energy Research Institute, and then you moved over to the Transition Accelerator and I, and we kind of lost track, lost touch for, for uh, three or four years. And it's very nice to reconnect with you. What have you, what have you been up to and why did you make the jump to the Transition Accelerator? Sure, Markham. Thank you. That's right. Um, I am with the Transition Accelerator now. Has been have been with them for last uh, close to two years now. Um, I mean, you know, I've been in energy and environmental research um, space, modeling and analysis over the close to twenty years. And joining the Transition Accelerator made um, made good sense to me because that's sort of a next next step for me. Uh, even for my own personal growth, at looking at ways we can reconvene as a country, as uh, as regions, as cities, in trying to figure out ways that we can uh, create a, a decarbonized future where, you know, where where sectors have decarbonized, but also we, how can we take advantage of our our existing um, energy systems, existing sectors. And, and tie them onto decarbonization pathways that would allow us to have that future, you know, sustainable growth in the future. Now, in 2021, the International Energy Agency said 
that we were entering into a new area era of the clean energy economy that was emerging globally and was expected to spread and and over the next you know x number of decades it would displace the old hydrocarbon the fossil fuel uh, energy system and then uh, uh, last month they issued another report uh technology perspectives 2023 that basically said that the clean energy economy is now so advanced it's kicking off like another industrial revolution because now we have to make all the equipment and you know to that's required by that clean energy economy and so now it's you know now we're busy building uh plants that turn out evs and batteries and wind turbines and solar plants and it's just it's an amazing time to be alive i have to tell you but the question for for you is because you've been around in the energy doing energy uh economic analysis for 20 years does is that what it feels like to you is that we've made a major we've we've crossed the threshold well i mean if we if we look at the if we look at the overall canadian energy system i mean over close to 60% of our greenhouse gas emissions are generated through distributed combustion of traditional fossil fuels like like refined petroleum products and and natural natural gas but clearly, you know, if we are serious about moving and transitioning to a net zero emission energy system, we, we really have to think hard uh, and how can we transition our, our, our traditional industry like the oil and gas sector, for example. Um, and we believe there is, there, you know, in, in our analysis, we show that there is a, a natural complementary um, um, movement away from um, burning and combusting fossil fuels to some of the cleaner energy carriers, uh, like hydrogen, for example. Fair enough. Well, let's get into the report. Uh, this was commissioned by the Calgary Region Hydrogen Task Force, and it has all sorts of members like the Calgary Economic Development, which is tied to the city of Calgary and Canadian Pacific Railway and ATCO and Calgary Airport, all lots of lots of big industrial players and companies uh, in Calgary. And the report examined all the sectors of value chain, production, transportation, uh, and end use that are critical to a, an H, uh, hydrogen economy and concluded that there's about just under $5 billion a year of market potential for fuel hydrogen production. So is when you say fuel hydrogen production, is that like local and regional uh, consumption of, of hydrogen fuel, uh, or it's not intended for export, I would take it? Correct. The the report uh, suggests that the province, the, the the region, the Calgary region, is well positioned to to produce over five thousand tons of hydrogen per day, which will be equivalent to that to that monetary market uh, in the region. Uh, the analysis was done around uh, who would be the early adopters of use of hydrogen, but also some of the medium to long term opportunities. Um, exports is definitely a longer term opportunity, which has not been uh, detailed in terms of the the, the modeling as, uh, hasn't been done um, at this point. So the number that you see in the report, uh, it, it is for a, a regional demand assessment for the Calgary region, which includes the city itself and then the neighboring uh, um, counties uh, like Wheatland and Rocky View. Now, I'm curious about what you think of uh, where hydrogen is going to go in terms of how it's made, how it's, how it's supplied. 
So I think everybody agrees that in the short term, as because electrolyzers to make green hydrogen are still quite expensive. And I think the cost per kilogram is like six bucks, eight bucks, something like that. Whereas you can make it for $2 a kilogram if you use steam methane reforming and natural gas and then uh, capture and sequester the, the CO2 emissions. So what makes Calgary uh, a good market or a good place to set up a hydrogen hub is is there like you know ready supply of natural gas is that part of it it, it can you you know the geology around the calgary is is uh, is a good place to sequester co2 um what what are some of the variables uh well we've we we recommended that there's a lot of opportunity for for the region in looking at assessing the early adoption of hydrogen through the city of calgary municipal buildings, uh, transportation opportunities in the private and public fleets. Um, the one nuance is that yes, uh, hydrogen currently in Alberta is produced using uh, uh, natural gas, uh, methane, steam methane reforming. Um, and however, the Calgary region is not necessarily is, is, is as advantageously positioned as the Edmonton hub, for example, where supply of hydrogen is a lot closer. However, Calgary is well positioned uh, in terms of identifying what are the next um, next technologies that could be utilized in making the, pr the production of hydrogen locally. Uh, so for example, yes, continue using SMR with CO2 capture. For that, we will need an extensive CO2 um, removal infrastructure for the region. Um, and then also looking at our Southern Alberta renewable energy resources like wind and solar and what role can they play for future hydrogen generation or whether hydrogen could be used as the, uh, um, whether it's used as a storage uh, for intermittent um, wind and solar resources or using renewable energy, like you mentioned, uh, through electrolyzers in the future as technology matures. Uh, and the market expands and the cost will, will economics will dictate that the cost will be coming down. One of the things that's not well understood outside of Alberta, and I'm not even sure it's under, well understood inside Alberta, but people in the energy industry know this well. And that is the extent to which uh, Calgary is a technology hub. Uh, it has, because uh, uh, it's, you know, it's been for decades, it's been the the home of the epicenter of the of the Canadian oil and gas industry, and therefore it's built up a a very large pool of you know engineers and and other technical capacity scientists and folks involved in R and D. The University of Calgary is very involved in in research and and works closely with the energy industry. And when I interview folks uh, outside of Canada, I often ask them, you know, what's What's the thing holding back your company? And they always say talent. You know, we need talent. Talent's the hardest thing to come by. And, and so if you've got that pool of technical talent in Calgary, that would seem to give Calgary a big leg up in terms of, you know, helping to develop these various technologies we're talking about. Absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more. And 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 to that, to, you know, to, to that point, we actually did look at the uh, workforce requirements in assessing the, the the pool of labor that would be needed to advance the space, the the pace and development of the hydrogen value chain. Um, and you're right on the you're right on the money. Calgary's 
Calgary already has that skilled labor pool. Uh, the one area where we would sort of make recommendations is continue engaging with our academic partners and communities in trying to figure out what the next, um, what that future skill set uh, would, would need to look like um, and, and making sure that our current labor force has those skills either through micro-credentialing uh, or doing upskilling or reskilling where we're not going into full four-year bachelor degree, but you know we could take while the person is still employed, could still um, uh, tap into those um, uh, upskilling opportunities. So I couldn't agree with you more, Mark. Well, let's talk about the recommendations that came out of the report. And the first one is build a consortium around a shared vision for a fuel hydrogen future. Why is a consortium important? Like, Why get all these stakeholders together? Uh, what's the, the value of that? The value of that is the accelerated pace and development of a nascent, almost non-existing hydrogen value chain uh, for the province and for the region. Uh, in order for us to, to make hydrogen as a, a valuable clean energy carrier that is, that is you know, commercially available and economically viable, we need up in the sort of, in, in, up in the front initially, we need to structure these hubs around concentrated regional demand in order to build that supply, in order to build the infrastructure, the value chain, the, all the ancillary services that will be required. And, you know, in our recommendation is structuring this regional demand and supply in a, in a, in a, in a hub type model and approach allows for things to happen faster and investment to, to come into proofing of these technologies and, and, and creating the pilots and demonstration projects that will have some permanent economic viability down the road. Yeah, I think it's important to emphasize that, you know, uh, in the past, we used to use this, you know, strategy called industrial policy, where we picked a winner, you know, maybe it was uh, uh, Nortel, or it was whatever it might be. And, <laughs> and we protected that company with tariffs, and we gave it other protection, you know, supported with, you know, financing and, and other means. And the approach these days is very different. It's all about bringing folks together in a cluster, an industrial cluster, so that you've got not only the core people, like, you know, built, working on the demand technology, like fuel cells or internal combustion engines that burn burn hydrogen, that sort of thing. You've, you've got those, and then you've got the supply folks who are going to be, you know, could be ATCO, could be, you know, whoever that uh, turns out to be. And they all work together. And then you can figure out what the supply chains are. And the supply chains become absolutely critical to the success of, of the other the other players in the consortium. Have I kind of got that right? Oh, absolutely. I would even I would even argue a little bit further that um a hub on its own can only do so much. But I think really looking at linking the different hubs, hydrogen hubs or regional demand, uh, concentrated demand by means of uh, integrating the hubs together through transportation corridors, for example, that, that could support hydrogen adoption in a heavy duty transportation uh, across this country. Um, so yeah, no, you're, you're right on the money. 
Yeah, and that's, that's of course, the, the second recommendation is partner with the Edmonton Regional Hydrogen Hub. And one of the reasons is because, again, this isn't, isn't really well known. Uh, Alberta is the biggest producer of hydrogen uh, in Canada, and it does it for the for the industrial sector up in, in Edmonton, the petrochemicals and the, and the refining. And, and so there's already a, a, a base of supply. There's a base of skilled labor, or, you know, uh, professionals and technical expertise. And the, uh, and the hub has been around now for two, three years. And, and so they've worked out some of the kinks in how, how to do it. And so, you know, learning, learning from their experience will ex accelerate the, uh, shorten the growth, the, the learning curve. And, and no doubt there will be some synergies between the Calgary hub and the, and the Edmonton hub. That's exactly what we're uh, talking about with our Calgary task force group uh, is that we need to look at the Edmonton region hydrogen hub as our, as our partner in this, not, not a competitor and trying to figure out what kind of synergies that we can capture already, because you're right, Calgary region is our we'll, we'll already be piggybacking if we are successful at launching a Calgary hub they will be piggybacking on lessons learned that we you know and experience that we have gained by operating the Edmonton Regional Hydrogen Hub yeah we don't we don't need an Oilers Flames uh, Battle of Alberta uh, going on for, for sure uh, well, maybe a friendly competition <laughs> here and there <laughs> yeah fair enough fair enough uh uh, recommendation number three, connect with uh, CP Rail, Calgary Transit, Alberta Motor Transport Association to support hydrogen vehicle trials. And this seems important to me because, you know, when I was in Edmonton uh, with the AMTA launched those Class A trucks, I got a chance to interview oh, the uh, uh, one of the executives from uh, from Nikola and another mm -hmm. one from um, uh, Bison Transport. So a, a carrier who, you know, so I got their perspective on this. And transportation, you know, the the, the long haul transportation in particular seems to be a real uh, good business case for it. It's a game changer for hydrogen, I would even say thus far, because the economics today work out well to to have hydrogen replacing some of those um, uh, molecules like diesel uh, for a class eight heavy duty transportation today. Um, you know, I would even argue that, you know, unlocking the opportunities for hydrogen adoption in a heavy duty transportation is a linchpin to use of, of you know, uh, a permanent and long term use of hydrogen in other sectors um, and other uses such as heating and cooling of our homes, uh, power generation or industrial processes like steel making, cement making. Uh, and so it's very important. Again, it's, it's the reason it's, it is a recommendation is because we feel that we can get going on some of these pilot and demonstration projects with our transportation partners today. Well, so recommendation number four is focus on smaller scale distributed hydrogen production to serve the fuel market. Now, when I first saw that, uh, Dinara, the first thing that came to mind is Hydra Energy's project in that they're, the pilot project they're doing up in Prince George, B.C., where they're going to be, they'll have a small electrolyzer on site and there'll be, the trucks will be using a 50-50 blend of hydrogen and, and diesel. But the idea is not to make it with steam methane reforming, but to use the electrolyzer like right on site. So uh, no need to pipe hydrogen around, which is uh, one of the uh, 
it's the most expensive. Is, yeah, it's the yeah. most expensive part of the value chain for hydrogen. Yeah, exactly. And and so is is that what you had in mind with this recommendation? That's right. I mean, if we look at the, you know, through the, the economics of the value chain of, of, of producing hydrogen, distributing it, moving it, and then the final end use, um, our analysis suggests that the at this point, the distribution of hydrogen is the most expensive part of the value chain. And so if we can create opportunities where we can generate hydrogen on site locally, that, you know, that kills the, the that distribution charge um, that, that would be triggered. Um, you know, there are and and as you scale up, as you can envision, like we're not going to go from zero to you know hundreds and thousands of tons per day of hydrogen. Another reason, another focus, why we're looking at smaller scale at this point is because they're easier to scale up uh, once the once technology is proven and once you know some pilots start to 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 be operational. Can you do small steam methane reforming on site? That's a good question. I have no idea. <laughs> I would assume no, just because the the kind of capital and operating cost requirements that are involved in traditional steam methane reforming. So then we could perhaps imagine a system in which uh, on-site generation of hydrogen would be done with electrolyzers and larger scale uh, would be done using steam methane reforming. And the uh, the government of Alberta recently put out a request for proposals to build a hydrogen refueling system in Alberta. And so presumably the SMRs would would feed that system and, and maybe big industrial mm -hmm. users like cement plants. Correct. And there are other technologies, too, outside of SMR, like, for example, uh, the turquoise uh, technology, the turquoise hydrogen technology that looking using methane, but not creating CO2 emissions with that, but it creates uh, solid, you know, solid carbon or, or graphite. So those are still opportunities that, that are worth investigating. Uh, the local on-site generation through electrolyzers or even um, 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 to to scale up initially those those modular units um, that that could be swapped out once the the hydrogen runs out that could be an option as well um, and and looking at you know moving away from colors of hydrogen but really sort of sticking to the carbon intensity of the carbon produced um, I think that would be a, a a better economic indication in terms of which technologies are going to at the end be the you know, the most economic. Now, the fifth recommendation is to support carbon capture and storage for blue hydrogen production. This, <laughs> this, this seems to be one area where the oil and gas industry has mobilized and there's plenty of support for it. There's plenty of uh, uh, both provincial and federal funding uh, to help build the infrastructure, you know, CO2 pipelines and and storage facilities and all the rest and the rest of it. So this seems to be the one that Alberta maybe has made the most progress on. Yeah, I would I would tend to agree with you. Uh, I mean, most progress has been made around the sort of more of a northern region of the province. So bringing some of that into the southern region closer to Calgary probably be. Uh, the next step in, in in their thinking and identifying the opportunities. Um, and, and yeah, again, like if you look at the uh, existing pipeline infrastructure in around the region, it is well positioned to potentially repurpose some of those pipelines for CO2 and then maybe eventually for, for hydrogen service as well. Now, recommendation number six is very interesting from my point of view. Support renewable generation and green hydrogen production. 
And this makes perfect sense because uh, Alberta has the, and along with Saskatchewan, I guess, has the best wind and solar resources in Canada, by far. Alberta has the uh, um, pretty much open uh, market electricity system where wind and solar developers, if they're approved, can build uh, build a, a wind farm, solar farm, uh, connect to the grid and sell into the wholesale market. If they're competitive, they make money. If they're not competitive, they don't. And, mm -hmm. and so there's been a big flood of I think last year there was a one gigawatt of renewables that were built and they're looking for two gig gigawatts uh, this year. And of course, sometimes the, they will, uh, you know, particularly sunny or windy days, they'll produce excess electricity, which could go to make green hydrogen. And a, a related point is that by 2030, the, uh, the power grid will be 70% natural gas uh, electricity generation and 30% uh, renewables. So at some point I can, you know, we're going to have to get deal with the emissions from the the gas power plants. And one of the suggestions is to make hydrogen stored in, the, in salt caverns and then power the, uh, the formerly gas uh, turbines, uh, swap them out for hydrogen uh, tur uh, capable turbines. Is that kind of what you had in mind? So in, in this particular recommendation, we're focusing specifically on renewable resources of, of our province. Um, and, and again, this is back to my earlier point that uh, hydrogen can be a very complementary energy service to intermittency of wind and solar, where you can, you just said it right, right. You, you just mentioned it, you know, when the prices are, are too low, we, we will generate hydrogen. When the prices are high, you sell electric grid, elect, electricity into the grid, you know, generated through wind and wind and solar. Using hydrogen um, or storing hydrogen and then using it in a combined cycles, uh, a combined cycle plant like natural gas. I mean, it is an option. Uh, I think we're still in the early stages of understanding how hydrogen behaves uh, stored, whether those are uh, salt caverns or other geological formations. Um, not sure where we're at uh, in terms of the, the the technology advancement and commercialization, but it is an option worth evaluating. Um, what we're doing now, though, we as a collective royal, we uh, as an industry is looking at blending already hydrogen into natural gas distribution for heating. Uh, as you know, ATCO has a, has a pilot in Fort Saskatchewan that's looking at blending up to 20% of hydrogen into the gas stream. Um, similar pilots could be adopted for for the Calgary region as well. Yeah, that's uh, recommendation number seven to deploy hydrogen for heat and power generation. So on the heat side, um, there hydrogen is such a small molecule that it's prone to leakage. Uh, mm -hmm. Not a great thing if you're you know if you've got it in your house. Um, <laughs> so what really is the the potential? to use hydrogen for, for heating? Well, with today's technologies and, and furnaces, uh, without retrofitting any of that, we can now already blend hydrogen in smaller volumes into natural gas distribution networks. If we are looking at switching um, completely where we're removing natural gas and, and switching it with, with hydrogen, you're correct. There's going to be some retrofitting that needs to be done for the existing uh, fleet of you know, homes and, and office towers. 
Um, and they, in, in terms of hydrogen, how hydrogen behaves in the pipeline, there's also, we also need to, to understand uh, around what hydrogen does to the, to the metal. So from what I understand, there's issues with metal embrittlement for moving hydrogen in a pipeline and also addressing those uh, leakages, as you mentioned, hydrogen is a smaller mo molecule, uh, the natural gas. So all, all of those technological challenges are being worked through. I know a few different um, academics and industries that are currently advancing um, advancing research in, in this field. So, you know, the the future looks promising. So stay tuned, I guess. Now, the last recommendation uh, is, uh, on paper, it looks boring. Engage the academic <laughs> community. So all the academics who are listening to this podcast, I apologize in advance, but hang on a second. There's a cliffhanger here. <laughs> In I you know in in the interviews that I've had around around technology development, and reading some of the work of various economists, one of the things that comes up over and over again is public funding of intellectual property. So if fun, if if public money goes into creating hydrogen related technologies and IP is created, there are patents and and so on, then there's a there's an argument being made that the public should retain some equity, it should license the technology and get some of the royalties, money that go back into further development uh, activities, that sort of thing. Or the government becomes uh, an active partner and helps to market the, the intellectual property outside of the, of the country, uh, th those sorts of things. And so I made a little joke about, you know, boring of engaging the academic community, but turn that on its head. And if the academic community, the science community is, is, is generating IP, that might be the most dynamic part of a hydrogen strategy. Yeah, no, sure. I haven't really tapped into, you know, the IP rights or or understand even what the laws are around IP in this country. But just in the general sense, I can tell you, history shows that, any, you know, any public-private funding that went into um, academic institutions has resulted in multiple impact, multiple economic impact in terms of what you just said, that you, you increase your overall knowledge base and your research and development of various technologies at the broader, bigger scale than just uh, at the company level, if a, if a commercial company were to look into to doing something similar. And already in terms of like tangible outcomes, you know, we're, we're living proof of that, um, you know, in, in many of our pilots and demonstration projects, uh, we, our academic partners are involved quite heavily in creating pragmatic uh, solutions and, and uh, advancements in, in technology that, that would benefit not only the academic community, but the, the public at large and, and our governments and industries. Right, rah-rah scientists, right? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm all for science. Yeah. <laughs> we, we <laughs> I mean, the science. one thing, the one thing if I could make a, you know, a recommendation is, you know, through engage through the, you know, our ongoing engagement with the academic community, there's still, there's still some kinks to be worked work through from that comes from the academic community, but those are, are peanuts and compared to some of the other files that we try to move forward. <laughs> Oh, and we should, we should, of course, uh, because there are engineers in the academic community, and we don't want to forget the engineers. 
very important part of developing technology and then deploying it. So we, we've talked about the report. We've talked about the recommendations. And there we're going to wrap up the conversation by talking about is the Calgary Regional Hydrogen Hub a good candidate for the application of modern industrial strategy and policy, which we've talked about in, in past podcasts. And I want to make it clear uh, uh, to listeners that the, the no decisions have been made. This is we're just suggesting that this is something to watch for. Uh, because industrial policy is is big at the federal level and, and various provincial governments like BC are starting to employ it at that level. And it would not surprise me at all if the uh, if the hub partners uh, really do employ a very uh, specific and purposeful uh, industrial strategy, you know, build clusters, build supply chains, do it and do it with purpose. Don't just, it's not willy nilly, let the market figure it out. It's like get in and, 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 and build this stuff. And so with that caveat, Danera, that this mm -hmm. is all speculative and something to watch for, what's your take on it? Our, our recommendation and our analysis suggests that Calgary region is greatly positioned to operate a, a regional hydrogen hub. Um, you know, I think it, it's got a lot of potential to grow uh, permanent and economically viable hydrogen markets. Uh, we already talked about the availability of resources and workforce that could produce and make low cost and low greenhouse gas em emitting hydrogen available. Uh, Calgary is also well positioned to take advantage of creating these um, hydrogen transportation corridors uh, uh, with connecting with Edmonton Hub or even across Western Canada uh, and looking into working with some of our U.S. partners um, into creating those transportation corridors into the United States. Uh, when it comes to, you, you're right, some of the elements of the industrial strategy can be picked through the recommendations in the report already. Um, and we are in a sort of early infancy stages uh, in terms of the discussion of, of how we can uh, bring the elements of the, some of the industrial uh, elements from the industrial strategy and approach that we have recommended into governance and 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 uh, in the overall um you know agenda of what the hub will look what what the hub will do and what kind of activities it will undertake well one final question before i let you go um again experts that i've interviewed say that you know canada and some of these key files you know, like critical minerals for example we don't have a lot of time you know to to get a competitive to get a leg up and be a, and be a first mover in some of these industries, we've got to like two to five years. So, within the Calgary region, within the task force and the and the members there, is there a recognition of that and 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 a you know a commitment to to move as just as quickly as possible? I think the overall sentiment of the task force is yes, the the people there understand um, understand that the scale and and the pace that would need to be required to in order to undertake this this you know this initiative and and what kind of decarbonization and economic development opportunities that could be leveraged as a result of running and operating the hub itself, um, you know. But there's still there's still nuanced differences among stakeholders' perspectives. 
Uh, and I think the reason is because, you know, each group or each organization has its own sort of um, his own sort of agenda and 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 strategy sure. on how they want to decarbonize and create those economic opportunities. But I think overall sentiment is yes, we 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 all agree. Um, it's just a matter of now putting the the timeline and and you know the Gantt chart about what kind of activities we want to undertake. Fair enough. Very diplomatically put. Uh... <laughs> Well, Daenerys, it was it was lovely seeing you again, and we'll look forward to future interviews with you. And we'll also be keeping our eye on the Edmonton Hub and the emerging Calgary Hub. So thank you very much for this. Absolutely, Markham. Thank you so much for your time, too.